listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ash Gartner. Today on Footprints, I'm joined by Daniel Santangeli, the Artistic Director and Co-CEO of Footscray Community Arts Centre. The centre provides a space that meets the social and cultural needs of Footscray's marginalised and disadvantaged communities. Originally an independent theatre maker, Daniel realised he could make a bigger impact by creating this space for others. Daniel joins me now. Thanks so much for your time today, Daniel. Oh, pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, can you tell me a little about your journey? When did your interest in theatre and this creative space start? Uh, well, the interest in theatre really started when I was in high school. I was a very, very shy kid um, growing up um, and really think I had a lot of social anxiety. I can remember that first day at school being the most ter- terrifying day, starting a new school in high school so um, and couldn't talk to anyone, just totally froze. And I think I was very much like that for a number of years until I discovered drama at high school and like like what happens with so many kids who sort of discover their confidence in drama or realise that there's something else to them as a person that they can express themselves through theatre. I absolutely fell in love with drama and just had this idea, this sort of obsession of wanting to be a theatre director. I really felt like that was a place that I belonged um, and felt like I could really be myself in that setting. I think looking back, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, I was a young young gay man. I was at an all-boys school. It was a very masculine environment. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I obviously, I wasn't out at the time and did, never came out during high school. That's why I felt like I, I felt like I belonged and I felt like it was a space where I could, even though I wasn't coming out through drama, I just felt like I could be safe there and kind of carried that through with me when I then went and studied drama at Queensland University of Technology and continued to sort of find a passion for the, I guess, the elements of drama and the elements of theatre, particularly contemporary theatre as well, and then became an independent theatre director after that. Now, do you think you developed this confidence because of this interest in drama or do you think you found that confidence in in spite of needing to put yourself out there in because drama can be to put yourself up on a stage or in front of other people can be extremely overwhelming so which which side do you think it was I think the thing about theatre is that everyone accepts a certain set of rules when it comes to theatre you know you everyone accepts that everyone's going to be looking at one person everyone accepts that you're going to be quiet while someone says their lines Um, If it's improvisation, everyone accepts that you might fail. And I think that sense of just knowing what the rules were for this interaction was something that instilled me with a lot of confidence. And even now, I I know that I I flourish when I'm prepared, when it's something that I've kind of experienced before. And I know what the rules are. I know what the, the rules are going to be. I really struggle in environments where... I'm maybe not prepared or it's interacting with somebody um, or a person or an environment or a situation that I've never been in before that suddenly it's that first day of school all over again for me. And that's something I've become really accustomed to getting used to as an adult now is knowing when I need to prepare and know when I know when it's an environment that I'm not used to and kind of go, okay, I need to go and talk to somebody about what this is going to be like. So I'm really prepared. Um, So yeah, I think it's those rules of 
this is what this is what the moment's going to be like is something that really helps me. Now, Footscray Community Arts Centre provides this incredible space for creatives and it makes a huge contribution as well to Australia's cultural footprint more broadly. How did you come to be involved? So um, I was an independent theatre maker for about um, just under a decade. So I left university absolutely obsessed with being a theatre director and then over time while I was trying to, while I was making theatre work, I um, was also working as a producer as well, um, as a producer for festivals, because that's where there was income. So I realised that I had a, you know, the skills that I had in terms of knowing how to produce a theatre show, I could apply to um, producing art festivals. And so I was working for different festivals um, and often on short-term contract-based work. And and what kind of happened as I was doing that, I was beginning to realise that actually I enjoyed and valued that ability to create space for other people, for other artists, particularly artists who needed a voice or who had been historically underrepresented in mainstream arts and culture. I didn't need to be the person who was on stage anymore um, or the person who was maybe, it it didn't need to be all about me, that actually I could create that space for somebody else. Footscray Community Arts Centre has been an organisation that I've really loved and valued um, throughout my whole practice. It's one of the best art organisations in the country. And when the opportunity came up to apply for the artistic director role, which was a newly created role for the organisation, I thought, oh, I'll have a go at this. This would be the dream job. And then somehow, somehow I got it. Um, So that was a really incredible moment of, of stepping into this role and having all the tools and resources available to actually make space for communities who really experience quite significant structural barriers to mainstream arts participation. At Footscray Community Arts Centre, we work with what we describe as four different communities of focus. So First Nations communities, artists with disability, LGBTQIA plus communities, and also Um, with culturally and linguistically diverse communities, particularly those communities that are in the western suburbs. And for all of those communities, they experience very different types of barriers, but they have historically been really excluded from what tends to be a very dominant white, colonial, male-centred, heteronormative um, kind of core that we have in society. And the opportunity to um, support those artists to have a platform to tell the stories that they want to tell, but also to access audiences and change perspectives. And that's something that an art centre can do in a really unique way. Why are you so passionate about this field of work? Obviously, it's crucial because, like you said, these groups have been so underrepresented in this space for so long. But where does your passion for it come from? You know, I think part of it is feeling like I was on the outside growing up, you know, as a young gay man and experiencing some of those barriers myself. I would definitely wouldn't say that I've experienced the, the challenges and the hurdles I've experienced have been the biggest challenges. It's not the oppression Olympics. So, I, you know, it, it's not about me saying, oh, it's been so hard for me. Um, yeah. But I have experienced my own taste of that and just naturally want to kind of remove those barriers for other people. I think most recently, though, an experience that um, I don't really talk a lot about because I don't want to make it about me, but this is, you know, this is an opportunity to talk about myself. For sure. Um, is that recently my, in the last couple of years, um, my mum told me and my, my sisters that um, she adopted when she was young. She um, had a child and was forced to adopt him out. 
And the reason why she was forced to um, adopt him out was that um, he was a person of colour. So he was part of the win, uh, sort of a, win, a Windrush generation baby in the UK. And that was a really shocking moment for me because I had always thought that these were things that happened to other families, these kinds of structural barriers that are so extreme that results in the removal of a, of a baby from a mother was something that happened to other people. And Mm -hmm. that moment where it just, you know, it was like an elastic band snapping for me. It was just this moment of sharp realization of, Oh my God, that happened in my own family. And for me, what kind of came out of that and this process of reuniting with my brother as well was that that wouldn't have happened in a world where racism doesn't exist and we can change one of the only ways that you can change structural barriers is through culture and people's perceptions of the world and how they perceive other particularly minority identities and art and culture has such an important role to play in that and that is something that for me became really really it really brought it home for me of the Mm -hmm. importance of that. And I would love to see a world where that's not possible again, where a child isn't taken away from their mother for just reasons of perception only. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, I think that has been a renewed drive for me. So it's less about me being a, you know, young, shy, gay kid, but really that, that idea that we can reduce the trauma in the world by changing people's hearts and minds. Now, the theme this season of the podcast is leadership through adversity. Would you say that that is one of the biggest challenges you've faced? And and I guess, how did you overcome or or navigate that? Yeah, it's so funny. I don't really think of that as something that happened to me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess when I look back on it, it was, in a sense, a moment of adversity for me. Um, I think for me, really, the things that I that I struggle with is that I, I tend to get stressed quite easily and you often wouldn't know it. I don't, I don't necessarily appear as like a highly strong person. I mean, no, maybe, not at all. Maybe my boyfriend thinks I'm a highly strong person, <laughs> but he knows me well, but I, you know, I'm quite slow and, you know, I'm, you know, the, I seem generally pretty relaxed and, but I actually do, I do experience quite a high level of stress and I had some good coping mechanisms for that before I started this job. This job is so different to anything I've ever done before and the the pace of being in a CEO role is a lot and the challenges that you're dealing with are so vastly different because this is my first role as being in, a, in that kind of executive leadership tier. It's so different to kind of some of the challenges that you experience when you're in other maybe management roles that the that my old coping mechanisms just weren't working anymore and I really started to discover over the last year or so in the role that I was struggling to recall things recall names struggling to kind of just like get my thoughts in order feeling really stuck I think part of that might be lockdown and the Mm -hmm. eternal never-ending lockdown in Melbourne Um, but I do think it was also just that my old coping mechanisms just weren't working anymore. And most recently I've started meditating as a way to, to kind of deal with that. I never thought I would be somebody who meditates. Um, I've always scoffed at the, at the idea. Um, but actually realising that creating that space for myself just for self-awareness and to be aware of what I'm actually, to give myself that processing time really, to be aware of my thoughts, to be aware of um, how my body's coping with the day 
and it's just 20 minutes at the end of the day before I go to bed of, of just meditation and just sitting there and being um, aware of myself has actually made me so much better in the way that I then, the way that I am as a leader. I feel a lot more intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that I'm being a lot less, I'm relying less on kind of old patterns of behaviour and actually just doing what needs to be done in that moment um, rather than just like responding to emails because that's what I think I need to do. Um, mm-hmm. And when dealing with moments of tricky moments of particularly kind of maybe tricky HR moments or person-to-person moments that are hard to navigate, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm much more present in those conversations as well. And, yeah, I'm surprised to be that person that says, oh, meditation's great, <laughs> it really works, but it actually does. Uh, it's changed your mind about it. Isn't that amazing? Now, when you moved from making theatre yourself into this exec leadership position, did you have an idea of the kind of leader you wanted to be before you stepped into that role? Yeah, I, I you know, for the last few years before I got this role, I was... I had this kind of, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people do this kind of obsession of leadership. You know, I kind of really wanted to be a leader. That was, you know, I don't know why that was the case, but there was this drive to be, I mean, maybe it was just looking at other leaders that I, I admired or looking at other leaders that maybe weren't particularly great and going, I could do that. I could, I could do that. You know, I want to be a leader, you know, and really did leadership courses and, you know, would read books on leadership and, really, I think, centering myself in that leadership journey. Um, the job of being a leader, I've discovered, is completely the opposite um, <laughs> to anything I maybe read or was obsessed about thinking of what a leader could be. I think the switch of actually having to deal with that level of responsibility uh, has really made me uh, actually not want to be in the centre all the time and actually to really try to let other people do the leadership work um, and to really as much as possible get other people to do the heavy lifting rather than and let them have that moment and that centre of attention. Um, I try to do that with my staff as much as possible so that letting them work through decisions and supporting them on that, letting them have the good idea and not trying to take that for myself and then acknowledging, always trying to acknowledge them in that. Um, and not, yeah, not be like, oh, I've come up with this great idea when actually it was someone else's. I try as much as possible to centre other people, um, but maybe sometimes a bit too much to the extreme. I think I, um, I also have to remember that I have a leadership role and I have to be visible as well and that. So sometimes I've kind of got to stop it, step in and be the centre of attention because that's sometimes expected from some stakeholders, um, but wherever possible trying to, trying to step out of that. Were there any traits that you took during your time, say, as a director that you took across into this particular position or was it a, a case of uh, flicking the switch and really changing the way you operated? Yeah, do, I think being a theatre director is a lot like being a leader in an organisation. When you're a theatre director, you're on the floor and you are working with people fundamentally on a, in an emotional relationship you're asking people to, you know, to draw on their emotions and often you're having to be really responsive really quickly to say, oh, like, that doesn't work. Um, and sometimes you're like, oh, God, I've got no idea how to fix this scene. And I know that, um, that there's a famous director and I've completely forgotten her name from the, um, from the States, but she talks about this idea of like 
I normally don't know what I'm going to ask the actors to do, but I know that by the time I get off my director's chair and walk up to the walk up to them on the rehearsal room floor, I'll just go with whatever whatever comes to my mind <laughs> and just walk really slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just very slowly. Um, so yeah, I feel like that that trait is something that I carried with me, and knowing when to push people, knowing when to push and when to back off. And knowing when they're okay, they'll just I know that they'll get it eventually. And today is not going to be the rehearsal where it where it lands for them. Mm-hmm. That that's something that I've definitely brought into um Footscray Community Arts Centre and the way that I work with staff, just listening as much as possible to them. And not that listen, you know, yes, there's listening in terms of what they're saying, but also trying to do that listening of reading the sort of emotional signals and when to push and when to go, no, nah, this just isn't gonna work today and um, I think that's that's something I've definitely carried forward with me. It's, it really sounds like it's about recognising the capabilities of individuals and empowering them with those capabilities that they hold. What other traits do you think make a good leader? Um, I think a strength-based approach is really important and I think at Footscray Community Arts Centre as a community arts organisation it really has its roots in that idea of working with community strengths. And uh, for me, that's something that resonates really strongly with me. I think when you start with somebody's strengths, you're starting from a place where they feel affirmed. It's really easy to start with someone's negatives. And I know that I can sometimes fall into that space really easily because sometimes that's the thing that is most obvious. And yeah. um, But I think starting with someone's strengths is a really authentic way to find a solution that's positive, but also can take somebody on that journey. That doesn't always work. I, you know, I think sometimes you just need to call it as well and say, actually, this thing here is not working or that thing over here was negative and that wasn't, it wasn't appropriate. But even within that, I think there is a, an ability to, in doing that, is trusting that the other person can use their strengths to deal with that negative feedback or that negative criticism. I think another idea that's really important to me is starting where people are at as well. And rather than starting where, where I'm at and say using the words that I might use to describe something or starting with a, what I think might work, but actually starting with where somebody else is at. And I think particularly at Footscray Community Arts Centre, we work with so many different communities you know, there's some communities that I know better than others and somewhere I can kind of probably feel pretty confident that I probably know what the right solution's going to be um, and can kind of bring it up and, you know, be like, hey, what do you think of this? And they'll be like, oh, that's a great idea. And then there's others where I've, I've very little experience working with that community. And if I go in and say, hey, I think we should do this and, you know, we're Footscray Community Arts Centre and we're all about these things, it's just not going to fly because it's yeah. not starting where they're at. So actually asking questions that are more like, what do you want to do? What's important to you? When you think about having a cultural voice, what does that mean to you? And then saying, how can we, well, how could we help you? You know, these are the things that we've got. We don't have much money, but we've got lots of space. We have ven- like we have a venue. What can we do? What would you want from us? And then that that's a much better, richer conversation. Have you had mentors that you've looked to through your journey and what kind of traits did they have that you really aspired to as well? Um, I feel like I don't think I've had 
a lot of people in my life are that that have been the kind of the, you know the Gandalf um, or the the Dumbledore in my life. You know, I I hear that other people have them in their lives, um, but I feel like I I necessarily haven't. Um, I feel like a lot of the leaders or the people that have really inspired me have been people that that I've worked closely with um, and who have supported me on an almost peer-to-peer way. So they, they've probably, you know, definitely been more established than I am or have had have more experience than me, um, you know, and I think particularly about uh, Emily Sexton, who's the artistic current artistic director at Arts House. I met Emily when I was a theatre director and she was at Melbourne Fringe and I just wanted to have a coffee with her so she could program my amazing show that I was working on. And we had a really great conversation that's been a relationship that we've, I've actually now worked with her on a, in a few different ways um, and worked with her at Next Wave Festival when she was the director there and I came in as a staff member. And she's been incredibly supportive and I feel like I've learned a lot from her but it's been through osmosis really, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been less of that kind of more mentorly kind of kind of role. I know I just said I haven't had Dumbledores or, or Gandalfs in my lives, but, you know, we do at, at Footscray Community Arts Centre, we have our elders and residents. So mm-hmm. we have two elders and residents, Uncle Larry Walsh, um, who's a Tongarong elder, as well as Nawi Carolyn Briggs, uh, who's a Bunmarong elder. You know, they're not they're not necessarily there to mentor just me. They're, they're there for primarily, they're for our First Nations communities and to support them. Um, but... Uncle is there every two days um, and Nawi is there every, she drops in about once a month and they're a constant source of inspiration and, and support. Um, and I think both seeing their humanity, their ability to survive um, and the fact that they are such powerful community leaders but they're, they're very well respected within the community but they're not highly lauded necessarily outside of that um they're not super famous they're um incredibly humble normal people who have endured a lot but have this amazing deep well and capacity to solve problems in community and support and support others and lift them up one of the art center's goals and values is in fact leadership and i i loved this because it, it uh really shows that leadership must be heavily ingrained in all that you do there at the centre. Can you tell me a little bit about those values and goals? Some of the others were access and cultural rights. So it really seems to have these strong themes running through the work that you do at the centre. Yeah, the I mean, the founding story of Footscray Community Arts Centre is that um, where the site is now, there's a heritage listed building um, which was a, it's just an old bluestone building and um, it was about to be demolished in the mid-1970s and a member of the Meat Workers Union because um, it was the western suburbs of Melbourne at the time and um, was walking past, saw a bulldozer about to knock it down and um, jumped on the payphone around the corner, called his union mates and said, we got to stop this, we got to we got to protect this building and next thing you know they're picketing out the front of the building then the next thing you know, they're squatting inside the building. Um, they would say occupying the building. Uh, the council <laughs> definitely said squatting. Um, and they were so adamant that workers had a right to culture, that culture was a human right. Um, and this is a time when, you know, the Western suburbs was totally disconnected from the CBD. 
There was no very little infrastructure in the western suburbs, and there was weren't any particularly good roads leading into the western suburbs. And you know, this is about the time that the Westgate Bridge um, collapsed as well, mm-hmm. and the lack of safety, the sort of bravado of architects at the risk of workers. It was a time where, um, for workers, there was so many rights at risk. And they, at that time, really, the union movement really saw cultural rights as one of those. Footscray Community Arts Centre has changed a lot in that time. You know, there's this, we still have some of those unionists around um, from the founding story, but, you know, we now work with those communities that we were talking about earlier. And it's changed with each sort of wave of migration to Australia, as well as, you know, the, the increasing visibility around other communities, particularly queer communities and disability communities those values have kind of come from that place and they've evolved over time in a way that's actually authentic to the centre. Those values are are really deeply lived. They're not those values that are kind of on a wall um, or that a kind of CEO dreams up and then tells everyone that's what the values are. Those values that are in our strategic plan, in my first couple of months when I started, um, we had a major multi-year application due to Australia Council for the Arts and we had to create a new strategic plan for that. And also our old strategic plan was coming to an end. So we spent time with our artists as well as with our staff asking them, you know, which, what do these values um, resonate for you? And there was some where they were like, I don't know what that means. I don't know. I don't, I don't like that one. And we were like, oh, okay, well, we'll get rid of that one. Um, Time for a change. (laughs) Time for a change. And, um, but leadership was one that to them was something that was really important, but not leadership in the idea that they wanted leaders, but that communities themselves are leaders. Communities know what they want and that they, particularly communities that have experienced incredible barriers to participation in society they have been doing that leading work f- for such a long time and they they know what they need, they know what they want and that actually our job as an organisation is to be led by them and acknowledging as well that we bring particular skills to that. Like we have curatorial skills, we know what good art looks like, we, we know that we have the technical skills, you know, we know how to look after a facility, all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, we have to be led by artistically led by those communities. If you could give yourself a piece of advice when you were starting out on this journey, if you could speak to Daniel back then, what would that advice be? Uh, I think I would probably say to stop worrying and to get over yourself (laughs) would definitely be (laughs) the two things I would um, say to young Daniel. Um, I think think I that social anxiety that I sort of spoke about before, I internalised a lot of that um, and built patterns of behaviour that I think got me through but probably maybe weren't that healthy. And it, it's only now that I've kind of, you know, got the dream job that I'm like, oh, I can kind of work on some of that stuff. But I actually think I wasted a lot of time worrying about work and um, being um, stressed about work if I could go back, I would say you need to, you need to work on yourself first before you can work with other people because now I'm having to do that at the same time and that's fine and every, and I will always everyone's always working on themselves but I wish I had worked on those things a lot earlier. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for your time today and for your insight. It has been amazing speaking with you. 
Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.